Matthew 7, reading from 1 to 6. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how, with, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of, thy, uh, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and, thou shalt, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. You can be seated. I wish you Father's Day blessings this morning. I have chosen not to preach a Father's Day message today. Uh, in case it's of interest to you, uh, looking back at some records, uh, three out of the last five Father's Days, it fell my turn to preach. And uh, I've concluded that if we would always preach according to every holiday or civil event that occurs, uh, it would leave little time for anything else. So this morning I'm planning to um, continue through the series on the Sermon on the Mount that we've started some time ago. I did appreciate uh, Dave's thoughts about our Heavenly Father in the devotional early this morning. Some of you may be relieved that we finally made it to chapter 7. We are changing focus here a little bit as we move into the next chapter, although in reality it is a continuation of, of previous thoughts. In the beginning of chapter 6, we talked about prayer and giving and fasting and forgiving. In Warren Wiersbe's outline, he describes this as the believer's worship. And then further in the chapter, he describes it as the believer's wealth, as we talk about possessions and priorities and um, what we seek after in this life. And then in the beginning of chapter 7, he describes it as the believer's walk, the believer's worship, the believer's wealth, and the believer's walk as we relate to other people and because uh, into um, the golden rule and uh, walking the narrow way and so forth. The title I've given to the sermon this morning is Learning from Logs, Dogs, and Hogs. These are illustrations that Jesus used in this passage. In the introduction to the last message, that I preached here, I pointed out that many teachings in Scripture comes in pairs. For example, we are taught that we need to be separated from the world and separated unto God. It's kind of a pair. We should put off the old man and put on the new man, another pair. We should not lay up treasures on earth, but we should lay up treasures in heaven. And sometimes these teachings that come in pairs seem to be contradictory. Our passage this morning is an example of that. In verses 1 to 5, Jesus teaches us very, cl very clearly that we should not be judgmental towards our brother. But then in verse 6, he tells us that we should not give what is holy to the dogs 
or what is valuable are pearls to the swine, to the hogs. So how are we to know who or what are dogs and hogs without judging them? Is Jesus contradicting himself? And if not, how do we balance these statements and these teachings? Many times what first appears to be contradictory is actually complementary. And there are many physical examples of this. Uh, a nut and a bolt are two very different items. They really don't look the same. And if you didn't know better, you might think that they have nothing to do with each other, that they're unrelated. But the fact is, in reality, that if you just have two nuts, they're basically useless. Two nuts alone cannot accomplish too much. But if you have a nut and a bolt, Combined, they are very useful. They complement each other. They are very different in appearance. They may appear contradictory, but in reality, they're complementary. And they join together to form a complete and very useful unit. Gears can be the same way. Notice these two helical gears. The one is angled one way, and one is angled the opposite way. If you look at the, uh, the right side of each gear, you'll see there on the bottom the teeth slope towards you, slant towards you. On this one, they slant away from you. So if you would see these two gears not already meshed, your first impression may be, well, they're not the same. They're contradictory. They're opposite. They won't fit. But notice how well they fit together. The very fact that they are opposite is what allows them to work together. If they would not be opposite, they could not work together. And I think that's what we see in our passage here this morning. Jesus is not contradicting himself, nor is he showing only one side of the picture, but he is presenting complete, balanced, and complementary teaching. So the title I selected for this morning, Learning from Logs, Dogs, and Hogs, I selected because those are examples that Jesus used. But I've also given the title or the sermon, a subtitle, Judgment versus Discernment. And I think we see both in this text. In the first five verses, Jesus teaches on the subject of judging. And then in verse 6, the emphasis is that of discernment. Not contradicting, but simply looking at a different aspect. It is necessary to discern between what is good and what is not. And this is clearly illustrated later on here in chapter 7, where uh, we are told to beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are wolves. So we need to discern who are the sheep and who are the wolves that are simply trying to appear like sheep. He talks about fruit that a tree bears. There's good fruit and there's evil fruit. And we can discern by looking at that. So Jesus does teach discernment. In the sermon this morning, I would like to address three questions. The first question, what is the difference between judging and discerning? The second question, what does Jesus teach about judging? And the third question, what does Jesus teach about discerning? So first of all, what is the difference between judging and discerning? 
Now, most of us have a very simple answer to that question. The very simple answer is that if someone else is doing it towards me, it's judgment. And if I'm doing it towards someone else, then it's discernment. That's a simple answer, but it may not be an accurate answer. So what is the difference? And I have six, six points here, and I'm sure there could be others as well. Number one, judgment is reactionary, and discernment is responsive. Judgment is reactionary, discernment is responsive. We see many examples of this. All you need to do is read the news. Look at current events, events that happened in the last year or so. We see it in politics. Somebody takes a position or makes a statement, and the opposite side reacts to that. And they simply go farther in the opposite direction. It's a reaction. We've seen it in the last year in current events. Uh, we've heard a lot, if you follow the news, about the Black Lives Matter movement. And this is simply a reaction to what many people consider unfair treatment. Well, then there's another movement, Blue Lives Matter, which is simply a movement that supports the, the police force. And it's a reaction to the reaction. And people join sides, and they react, and they grow more and more opposed to each other. In both situations, people are making judgment on the others. And the sides are driven farther and farther apart. So judgment is reactionary, but discernment is responsive. I'd like to think a little bit about this idea of reaction. I have here a, an illustration of a, of a balance or a seesaw. And for this illustration, I'd, I'd like you to imagine this as the church. And the center position right here is the biblical correct position on which you should be. And let's suppose in this situation there are, are five men standing on this balance, and ideally they should all be standing right here in the center. Now, you are one of those five people, and in time you find that four of those people move off a little bit to this side. Now, what is your reaction? Remember, this is the biblical position. But when four people move this way, we tend to move this way, to try to keep things balanced. When we do that, who is farther from the center? What's well, obvious, we are farther off center than what they are. And we're doing that maybe in an attempt to make a point, to help them to see their error. But really what happens when we do that, we just convince them all the more. They look at us and see how extreme we are and it does not encourage them to move toward us at all. If anything, it encourages them to move away from us. But if we can maintain a proper position and not react to try to create balance, but if we can maintain a proper position, they are more likely to see the imbalance they are creating and move toward us. But the farther we move away from them, the farther they tend to remove from us. So discernment is responsive. It maintains a correct position, regardless of what other people may do. And discernment encourages a favorable response from others. So this 
brings us the question that we need to ask ourselves. If I see a brother taking a position that I do not appreciate, do I react to that and go off in the opposite direction and become even more extreme than he is? Or do I respond to that in a positive way? Does my action draw him toward me? Or does it convince him that he doesn't want to be like me and send him farther away? So judgment is reactionary. Discernment is responsive. Number two, judgment is based on quick conclusions. Discernment is based on careful evaluation. Now, I have a photo that may help to uh, illustrate this. It's not a real clear photo. But at first glance, you might wonder what kind of a mutation or hybrid you're seeing here. And if you're judgmental, you may say, what a weird cow. That's if you make a quick conclusion. But if you do a careful evaluation with only a little bit of discernment, you soon realize you're actually looking at two different animals, one of which is partially standing behind the other. So you see how that judgment is based on a quick conclusion, jumping to conclusions, we might say, whereas discernment is based on a more careful evaluation. Discernment recognizes that you may not see the whole picture. When you observe a person's life, you see their actions, but you may not see their motives. And they may do a wonderful thing with a terrible motive, or they may have a good motive, but fail at what they attempt to do. And discernment tries to take that into consideration. So judgment is based on quick conclusions, but discernment tries to uh, take a little more of a careful evaluation. I remember hearing a story, and I think it was over this pulpit from somebody that shared here one time, and I don't remember who or when, but the story was of two traveling angels, obviously, obviously an imaginary story. And these angels were, were traveling here on the earth and they stopped to spend the night in the home of a very wealthy family. But this family was rude and they refused to let the angels stay in the mansion's guest room. Instead, these angels were given a small space in the cold basement. And as they prepared to make their bed on the hard floor, the older angel saw a hole in the wall, in the basement wall. So he stepped over to that wall and repaired it, sealed it shut. You could not even tell there had been a hole there. And when the younger angel asked him, why are you repairing that hole? The older angel replied, things are not always as they appear. The next night, they came to rest at the home of a very poor but hospitable farmer and his wife. This farmer and his wife shared what little food they had, and then they showed their guests to their very own room, while the farmer and his wife slept in another room on the floor. When the sun came up the next morning, the angels found the farmer and his wife in tears. That night, their only cow, whose milk they depended on, lay dead in the field. And again, the younger angel asked the older angel, how could you have let that happen? And the older angel simply replied, things are not always as they appear. As they resumed their journey, the younger angel accused the older, 
The first man had everything, and you helped him by repairing a hole in his wall. The second family had little, but was willing to share everything they had, and you let their cow die. Well, things are not always as they appear, the angel replied, the older angel. When we stayed in the basement of that mansion, I noticed there was gold hidden in that hole in the wall. Since the owner was so obsessed with greed and unwilling to share his blessings, I sealed that hole so that he would not find it. Last night, as we slept in the farmer's bed, the angel of death came for his wife. I sent him to the cow instead. So obviously, that's imaginary. But the point is, first impressions are often misleading. And judgment reacts to those first impressions, whereas if we have a discerning attitude, we do a more careful evaluation. Number three, judgment spawns alarm. Discernment has a calculated response. So not only does it have a careful evaluation, it also has a calculated response. Judgment spawns alarm. Discernment has a calculated response. And I have another picture here. This picture looks pretty horrible. You see a man falling off a cliff with no bottom in sight. A quick judgmental conclusion may lead to a reckless action. We may jump to respond to what we see as a terrible situation. And that response may unnecessarily endanger both ourselves and the other person. Whereas discernment has a calculated response. Let's look at this picture from a different perspective, and I've already seen some of you taking your hand and making that motion. This is how that picture was actually taken. With a bit of discernment, we realize there's no cause for alarm. This is simply some creative posing, a well-timed shot, and an image that was rotated 90 degrees to form a reaction. How many times have we rushed to some alarming judgmental conclusion, and when the dust settled, we thought, oh, so that's all that was really to it. And yet we jumped to this conclusion. Many times in life, when we have a discerning spirit, we may realize that things are not as bad as they first appeared. So judgment spawns alarm. Judgment has a cal or discernment has a calculated response. Number four, judgment accuses and seeks to condemn and to hurt. Discernment intercedes and seeks restoration and healing. Judgment accuses and seeks to condemn and to hurt. Discernment intercedes and seeks restoration and healing. When you notice something you do not appreciate in someone, is your motive and desire to belittle them, to put them down, or is it to build them up in encouragement? Do you seek to accuse or to intercede? Or if it's simply an insignificant character trait that you don't enjoy, that you find annoying, do you desire to change it, or are you willing to accept it? Years ago, I read 
a little one-liner that really made a, an impression on me. It said, Satan is the accuser. Jesus is our interceder. Which do you resemble? Satan is an accuser. Jesus is the inter interceder or intercessor. Which do you resemble? Judgment seeks to accuse. Discernment seeks to intercede and to help. Number five, judgment focuses on the negative, whereas discernment seeks to, pr to protect the positive. You see, judgment focuses on the splinters in our brother's eye, the negative aspect, where discernment focuses on the holy and on the pearls, the valuable. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love rejoiceth not in iniquity. It doesn't go around looking for all the negative. That's what a judgmental attitude does. Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You see, discernment tries to discern good from evil not to focus on the evil, but to focus on the good and to preserve the good, to protect the good. And we'll probably have a little bit more about that uh, later on. And number six, judgment places the crosshairs on others, whereas discernment looks inward with honesty and object objectivity. You see, when you're judgmental, you can see the tiniest speck of dirt in your brother's eye. You find fault in every little thing he does. His actions bug you. They just drive you up a wall. And meanwhile, you're blind to your own faults because you're so focused on the others and their faults. Someone has said that when we are hypercritical, we are often hypocritical. Hypercritical just means extremely critical of someone else. And usually the person who is hypercritical, does not see his own faults, and in turn is hypocritical. He may be oblivious to the faults in his own life, or simply ignore them. And people who are continually complaining about others being judgmental are actually judgmental in that statement. They are judging others for being judgmental. They're doing exactly what they're blaming others for and tend to be blind in doing that. Discernment, on the other hand, looks inward with honesty and with objectivity. Honesty, willing to acknowledge my own faults. With objectivity, willing to measure myself by the same rule that I measure other people by. In our Sunday school lesson, Romans 12, verse 3, talks about how you're supposed to look at yourself, not more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. In other words, we use the same rule of measure as we use for others. Someone has said that we tend to evaluate others by their actions while we evaluate ourselves by our intentions. We see something that someone did and we judge them for what they did, regardless of what they wanted to do. Whereas for ourselves, we judge ourselves by what we intended to do. 
And in that way, we do not make excuse for others, but find an excuse for ourselves. Well, let's move on to the next question. What does Jesus say about judging? In the first five verses of this passage, what does Jesus say about judging? Number one, if you deal harshly with others, people will deal harshly with you. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. If you deal harshly with others, you can expect that kind of treatment from others. Luke 6, uh, in Luke's recording, he enlarges on this uh, statement from Jesus a little bit more. And he says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So what does Jesus say about judging? Number one, the way you deal with others is the way they will tend to deal with you. But there's more to it than that. Number two, if we deal harshly with others, God will deal harshly with you. And this is even more serious. One source that I looked at indicated that the word judged here in verse 1, judge not that ye be not judged, that this word judged is a word that refers to God's judgment toward us when we stand before him. And if we judge others harshly, God will deal with us in a similar way. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, some familiar verses that indicate that. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. God will deal with you the way you deal with others. And that's also true in uh, verses we looked at earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. If ye forgive men their trespasses, God will forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So when you think of this issue of judgment, remember that God will judge you according to how you judge others. That should uh, be a thought that we consider seriously. What else does Jesus say about judgment? He indicates that it is necessary to take a close look at ourselves. In verse 3, he asks us why we're looking at our brother's problem, but we are not considering our own problem. We're not considering the beam, or some translations use the word log, that is in our own eye. And again, we touched on this in our Sunday school lesson. Uh, how much should you think about yourselves? Should you think about yourselves? Well, Jesus indicates, yes, we do need to think about ourselves. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to consider problems we may be dealing with. Now, let us not take this to extreme. Let us not continually be berating and condemning ourselves. This is a motive for correction and improvement. It is not a motive for declaring that we're worthless or hopeless and simply giving up. But it's a, a way of improving our vision. We need to evaluate ourselves, but not perpetually focus on ourselves. Remember, to keep your eyes on Jesus, looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And as we look at Jesus as our goal, then we can evaluate ourselves how well we are doing in reaching that goal. So it is necessary to take a close look at ourselves. How we do that? 
Number four, when we judge ourselves, do not avoid the sensitive areas. I found it interesting as I read these verses, this is the third time in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he uses the eye as an illustration. He used it in chapter 5, if the eye offend thee, pluck it out. He used it in chapter 6, the light of the body is the eye. And here he uses it in chapter 7 as well. Now we know that our eyes are one of the most sensitive parts of our body. And I tend to protect my eye from other people. If I have a splinter in my hand or in my foot that I can't remove, I might ask someone to help me. I might let you dig around in my hand or my, my foot a little bit to get out a splinter. I'm not very likely to let you dig around in my eye. That's a very sensitive part of my body. But think of the spiritual application to that. There are areas in our lives that we are very hesitant to allow people to speak into. There are areas of our lives that we just want to keep to ourselves, that we tend to keep hidden. And what Jesus is saying is that even in these sensitive areas, you need to be open. Do not avoid these areas of sensitivity. Spiritually, we need to be vulnerable, even in these most sensitive of areas. The areas we try hardest to keep secret. We hear about accountability to each other, accountability as a brotherhood, accountability to our brothers and sisters. And accountability simply equals vulnerability. It is making ourselves vulnerable. It is sometimes allowing our brother to get into those areas of our lives that are painful because it's for our good and it's necessary. So when we judge ourselves, we need to be careful to not avoid those sensitive areas. What else does Jesus say about judging? If we properly judge ourselves, we are then better able to help others. Verse 5, first cast out the beam, or the log, as some say, out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the moat or the speck of your brother's eye. See, when you deal with your own issues, then you're better able to help others with their issues. Galatians chapter 6 brings this out as well, verses 1 to 5. I'll just be reading part of those verses. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Ye who have dealt with your own natural issues, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, making sure you don't have something that's blocking your vision before you deal with your brother. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. For every man shall bear his own burden, so that then in turn you are able to bear ye one another's burdens, which it indicates earlier. Often when we hear teaching on judgment, we think of the Pharisees, and we often hear those terms together. Well, you're judging. You're a Pharisee. 
Well, what was it about the Pharisees that was so wrong? Many times, not always, but many times, the Pharisees criticized other people in order to make themselves look good. We as believers should do exactly the opposite. We should evaluate ourselves so that we can help others be better. We should not criticize others to make ourselves look good. We should evaluate ourselves in order to be better able to help others. So if we properly judge ourselves, then we are better able to help others. And number six, what does Jesus say about judging? When we judge others, we need to use the utmost level of tenderness. Remember, we talked about the eyes being tender. And when we deal with someone's eyes, we need to remember we are dealing with a sensitive area in their life. Now, sometimes it's necessary to intervene if somebody has dirt in their eye, if someone has cataracts or other problems in their eye. It may be necessary, and there may be pain involved, but we need to be sensitive. We need to exercise all the love and tenderness possible as we get involved in those sensitive areas in someone else's life. Imagine if someone had a speck of dirt in their eye and you tried to remove it with a hammer and a chisel. Now, that's a pretty graphic illustration, but you realize that the damage you would be doing is much greater than the damage that that speck of dirt was doing. And I fear sometimes that's what happens as we interact with each other and we see a need in another person's life and we think, I, I need to do something about that. That person needs to be taken care of. He needs to be set straight. And the way we go about it may cause much more damage than the original problem. So as we relate to other people's lives, as we judge others, we need to do it with the utmost level of tenderness. That is why Jesus taught the method of helping our brother that he did in Matthew 18. He said, if you see that your brother has a fault, start out as tenderly as possible. Don't get the whole toolbox. Don't get the whole church and go jump on him. Go to him alone and speak to him. You start out as tenderly as possible. If you see that more is needed, then you take another brother. If you see that's not resolving it, then you can get more. But he's teaching tenderness. John Phillips made this statement. The power for removing an offending splinter in our brother's eye lies not in our ability to detect, expose, and condemn, but in a Christ-like love that fills the heart with the desire to be helpful and kind. I think that's very true. I'm going to repeat that. The power for removing an offending splinter in our brother's eye lies not in our, our ability to detect and expose and condemn, but in a Christ-like love that fills our heart with a desire to be helpful and kind. Let's move on to our third question. What does Jesus say about discerning, about discernment? Verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now, some people, sometimes when we look at this verse, 
we emphasize the dogs and the swine and try to figure out who they are. Who are the dogs? Who are the hogs? And I emphasize them myself in the title of this sermon, but what I want to emphasize now are not the words dogs and swine, but the words holy and pearls. You see, God entrusted to us his holy word. God has given to us things of eternal value. And we don't want to squander those holy and valuable things by just simply throwing them out to the critters, to the animals. I think the real emphasis in this verse is the holy and the valuable, not necessarily the beast to which we are not supposed to throw them. So what does Jesus say about discerning? Number one, we need to preserve that which is holy. There are things that are holy. We need to preserve the holy. Jesus is saying, don't allow the dogs to devour that which is holy. And this illustration of dogs is used a number of times in Bible, in the Bible. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. The NIV says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So we need to beware of them so that we can protect ourselves and the things that were entrusted to us from them. These are people that want to destroy and mutilate the truth of God's word. We need to protect the holy teachings. We need to guard the, the, the holy teachings from those who would destroy it. And that is the reason why sometimes we need to exercise church discipline. And the reason for that is to protect the purity and the holiness of the church. When we exercise church discipline, it should not be done with a vengeful attitude. It's not a vengeful move against an individual. It's a protective move, a protective move for the church. And it's a vital move. It's simply preserving that which is holy. And perhaps we need to be stronger in that area sometimes, of protecting the holy things to which God has entrusted us. 1 Corinthians 5 Paul teaching to the Corinthian church says, Now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Preserve your holiness by not, by not um, welcoming this kind of activity among, your, among yourself. So discernment is preserving that which is holy. Number two, discernment is also preserving that which has eternal value. He talks about casting your pearls before swine. Pearls are something that have significant value. If you had pearls, you wouldn't simply throw them out like stones to be trampled into the mire. In chapter 6, Jesus talked a lot about values. He talked about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, talked about seeking what the Gentiles seek or seeking the kingdom of heaven. And in this verse, he says, don't treat what has great value as something of no value. That may seem like a simple statement, but it really has a profound application for our lives. 
Do not treat what has great value as something that has no value. Do not disregard the things that God places value on. God has given you many valuable things. And the Bible has plenty of examples of people who threw out the valuable, maybe on a moment's decision, in exchange for fleeting satisfaction of the moment. They exchanged the wealth of God's riches for a nickel, as it were. Esau sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. And the Bible says he despised his birthright. Something that was valuable, something that would have had lifetime value, he threw out in exchange for the satisfaction of the hour. Samson threw away his freedom. He threw away his vision and eventually his life for the pleasures of a few moments. David threw away his reputation and God's approval in the passion of a moment. Brother and sister, do you value what God values? Don't throw your pearls to the swine. Consider God's system of values. Time in his word. Obedience to his word. Obedience to the teachings of his word. These are valuable things that the world is throwing away. The sanctity of, mar sanctity of marriage is being thrown out by multitudes of people. A holy lifestyle is being thrown out. A separated lifestyle. A beautiful thing being separated unto God. We see so many people throwing out. These are valuable things. Let's not throw out the valuable. The third thing Jesus says, we need to discern the truth. So we need to protect the holy, we need to protect the valuable, and we do that by discerning the truth. What is true? 1 John 4 tells us that we need to, uh, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they have God. Many false prophets are going out into the world. They are of the world, and they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, error by our discernment. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by this false teaching, because if we do that, we are throwing out the valuable to be destroyed. Jesus told us later in chapter 6, he says, there are wolves among you who try to appear as sheep. There are a lot of negative influences, and they present themselves as something good, something positive. Be careful, be discerning. The Lord refers to us as his sheep, but that does not mean we should let people pull the wool over our eyes. We need to be discerning. Be careful. I think this is very pertinent for us in the age in which we live because we have access to so much information. It's just at our fingertips. We need to be discerning. At my work, I enjoy listening to sermons as I work, and there are unlimited resources you can go to. And I find inspiration in that. But I also find the need to be discerning because there are many sources you can go to and many things you can hear. Information on the internet, and I'm not referring only to spiritual information. I'm referring to issues of life. We become gullible and we become vulnerable when we just swallow everything that we read just because it's online. 
After all, that's an authority, right? Wrong in many cases. We need to be discerning of the truth and accept the truth. The person who believes all he hears from a spiritual sense and accepts everyone who claims to be spiritual is opening his life to confusion and spiritual loss. Philippians 1, verse 9 to 11, is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment, discernment of the truth, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Notice he, he defines judgment here. It's not that you may judge your brothers, but the judgment is preserving the holy. He says, I pray that you may abound in knowledge and in all judgment. Why? So that ye may approve things that are excellent. You're preserving the holy. That ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. You're preserving what is valuable. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And I think that prayer of of, uh, Paul summarizes the teaching of Jesus in these verses. We need to preserve the holy. We need to preserve the valuable And we do that by discerning the truth. I'd like to close with one example from the life of Jesus. Sometimes we might think that Jesus was judgmental in the way he dealt with people. Jesus was very discerning in the way he dealt with people. One day, there were some Pharisees, some religious leaders who brought a person to Jesus. And this was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. This was a terrible sin. And there was no question. There were witnesses. And there was a death penalty. The law declared that a woman or a person caught in this act needed to be stoned, needed to be killed. And so these men asked Jesus, what do you say about that? What did Jesus say? Eventually, he looked at the woman and he said, neither do I condemn thee. He did not judge. He did not seek her death or even retribution. But what else did he say? Go and sin no more. That was the discernment aspect of his response. He did discern between right and wrong. What she did was wrong. It was sin. And he said, go and sin no more. She needed to choose a different path in life. And he showed her that path. He sought to bring her to restoration and healing. And that is what discernment is all about. In Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus said these words, and I think they apply to us today. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, Be ye therefore wise as serpents, that's the discerning aspect, and harmless as doves, that is the non-judgmental aspect. Let us seek to preserve that which is holy and that which is valuable. We'd like to come to prayer, and I invite those who care to to join us as we kneel for prayer. Lord, I thank you this morning for this most wonderful of all sermons. 
again and thank you for your teaching. And Lord, as we read these words, we recognize them as your words. Words that held truth and value 2,000 years ago. Words that hold truth and value today for us here. Lord, I pray that our relations with others and even the way we look at ourselves could be done in a way that is pleasing to you. That we would be sensitive and yet discerning and protective of that which is holy for your honor and glory and your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.